Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 105. Today I'm talking with Dave Shade about his 200-inch Southern Ohio Giant, so stay tuned. What is up, everyone out there in Whitetail Land? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are feeling fine, as fine as we can feel with the uh, with the season. At least for me, being finally uh, finally over, coming to a close. I did my last sit uh, this past weekend on Saturday here in the eastern part of the state. I know I've mentioned a couple of times the season goes a little a little longer than the rest of the state, so I had a couple extra weeks to try to get it done. Um, of course, you know I don't get out as much during the late season as I would like with some of the family obligations and stuff that kind of stack up on you during the course of the uh, the course of the usual hunting season where I typically take my vacation time and all that all that good stuff. But nonetheless, I did get to get out. Um, I did get a few camera pictures of one of the shooter deer um, that was in this swamp, and so I had an idea where I thought he might be hiding. Uh, I made one last stand or one last sit or one last valiant effort to try to get on him. Uh, much to no avail. Um, so this is you know quite a learning experience for me this first year in the swamp as to how like things change in there and at what times of the season it's changing. You know, I'm not saying that this is necessarily holds true for all swamps, but at least this particular piece, uh, I'll be interested to see next year if everything kind of holds true again. But, you know, John and I'll do a wrap up of our 2018 season where we kind of talk through, you know, what I like to refer to as the good, the bad and the ugly and talk about, you know, basically analyze our, our past year where we made some mistakes and stuff like that. So I'll save, I'll save that for, uh, you know, going down that path for, for that particular podcast. But today we have a cool show. I uh, do want to try to get right into it. So the, the background on this is is that there was an area in southern Ohio that I was hunting uh, with my buddy Chad. 
And uh, this area is known for holding and having really, really big deer in the area. Um, it's it's, pub, it's public land, uh, but there is some lease land around it. And Chad, at one point in his life uh, with another buddy of his, was on a piece of lease ground that actually kind of bordered this area. Um, and so he had a lot of history with, with the area in general. And then it, this particular piece of public, Chad had hunted for, for several years. And so we went to do a hunt there together. And some of the deer we had on camera were just hammers. I mean, especially for a guy like me coming from Pennsylvania where, you know, we were getting better and better deer every year, it seems like. But just the caliber of deer that we would get on public ground down there. I mean, we had legitimate, you know, 150s, 160s on the camera when I was the year that I was hunting it. And I had seen some historical uh, trail camera data from prior years that Chad had been hunting it. And there was, you know, a legitimate 180 some odd inch deer. And I, I know it was 180 some odd inch deers because, you know, there was a gentleman who had uh, killed that deer um, that some, we have some mutual friends. And so I knew what the, knew what the score was. So, and they had pictures of that deer. So this particular piece of ground holds some hammers and the gentleman I'm having on Dave shade actually is on the lease uh, near this piece of ground that Chad, Chad was on. He's still on it. And he happens to be the guy who uh, killed that huge deer. That being said, this year he had an interesting story of getting on a particular deer that he ended up, you know, something ended up happening. He kind of talks about it a little bit to that deer particularly. And he ended up getting on another deer that was kind of a, a transient deer in, in on this piece of ground and is a, uh, is just a giant. It's just a hammer. It's the kind of deer that any one of us would just, you, you kind of daydream about being able to, uh, being able to take and just kind of how it all came together was really interesting. But the other interesting part of this is that I was literally hunting, um, this piece of public ground that was bordering this, his lease, um, in a, the general area or in a very, uh, relatively close proximity to where both of these deer were, were seen and, and, and killed to a degree. So, um, it's one of those things where maybe I was, maybe I had bad timing. Uh, we never had a trail camera picture of this deer, particularly on the, on the piece on the public side. Um, but it sounds like this guy kind of had a, a little bit of an interesting range or interesting home range. So there's nothing to say that, he wasn't uh, where I was necessarily whenever I was when I was hunting that area, but I just thought it was interesting. It's like, it's a very small community. Whenever you talk about the hunting um, the hunting community, um, this gentleman also lives you know not far away from my hometown, which is kind of crazy because not many people know you know Emmerich's Meat Market, which is a very small uh, little meat shop or a little butcher shop um, near my you know near where I grew up. Um, and the fact that he knows some of those some of those landmarks is kind of interesting. So it was interesting to talk to him because we come from a similar area. And it was interesting also because, you know, he had been hunting this deer on a piece of ground near where I was hunting. Um, and, and so I kind of understood the caliber of deer, um, that he was, that he was going after and kind of felt like I knew him a little bit just because of some of the stories that I heard about the previous deer that he had killed. So it's a long way to say that I think this is a really cool show. Um, I really dig the story that he tells and how he kind of got on this deer and, and, and just the overall, the process of this year and how it all kind of went down. So with that, we'll, we'll get Dave on here in a second to kind of give us all the, all the good deets, but I do want to make mention, I'm not sure how many of you out there listening, if you're in the tri-state area, uh, you know, in, in around the Pennsylvania area are headed to the great outdoor show, uh, this weekend. It starts on, uh, I believe it's February 2nd and it runs through, I want to say the 10th. Uh, I'll actually be there probably both weekends. So the second and the third and the ninth and the 10th, and I'll be kind of hanging out at the, uh, at the Exodus booth, uh, which I believe is booth 927. And then also, uh, kind of hanging at the, at the, uh, wicked tree gear booth as well, uh, which is 932, both of them in the archery hall. And of course, John, 
will be manning the Wicked Tree Gear booth as well. So um, if you're in the if you're at the show, John will be there of course the full two weeks. So if you're at the show, make sure to swing by and say hi to him. And then uh, over the course of the weekends, be sure to swing by and say hello to me. I'd love to get a chance to chat with any of you guys. Are going to be hitting the uh, hitting the show and trade some deer stories. But before we get Dave on, let's take care of the uh, the business end of this deal really quickly. Uh, let's talk about our partners that can that uh, continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, the longest, lastest, fastest cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you have ever used. Simply put, the toughest saws on earth. How tough are they? Tough enough to come with a lifetime warranty. And right now, when you visit wickedtreegear.com, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and get yourself a 20% discount on your Wicked purchase. Also, be sure to visit booth number 932 and check John out. Also brought to you by Exodus Outdoor Gears. I'd mentioned I'm going to be at the Exodus booth. They'll be there. They'll be exhibiting there, of course, all week at the Great American Outdoor Show. Again, that's running February, you know, second through the tenth. Uh, be sure to stop in and say hey to, to Chad and Jake, uh, to to all the guys at Exodus. They'll have some special show pricing as well. So if you are in the market for a camera, they'll be you'll be able to kind of you'll be able to pick one up there. You'll also be able to register your new camera on the spot so you don't have to wait to go through the registration process to lock in your five-year warranty and your no, bull, uh, your no bullshit warranty that they have as well. Uh, you know, I know you guys, for those of you at least that have been listening to the show for a while, know that I've been using Exodus truck cameras for a long time. And like the best testament that I can give to Exodus truck cameras overall is I still have the original trail camera that I got from them, which is now going on it's three years, I want to say. It's, maybe it's a little over three years now. So it's one of the original lift cameras, and I've literally had it in the timber from the moment that I got it till today. And the only thing that I've ever done is actually change out batteries in it every so often. And I would say that I've probably changed out batteries in that thing. Probably just if, if I were going to average it, probably a little, little over once, uh, a little over once a year, not quite twice a year. I, I guess you could probably say in generalities, probably twice a year. I change change batteries in the, uh, in, in that camera specifically. So it's been out in every type of well element you could possibly think of in terms of weather, you know, heat, sun, rain, wind, snow, sleet, hail, whatever the case might be. And it is still, uh, and it's still rocking and it's never, it's never hit indoors. I actually, I'm a terrible camera maintenance person, um, which is terrible of me, but it's, I've never even pulled it to clean it or anything. So, uh, that's the best testament I can give to a company that stands behind their product. So when you do lock in your five-year warranty, your no bullshit warranty, you're getting a hell of a camera. And if something ever does happen to, you know, does seem to happen, you're hundred percent covered. But my experience has been that after three years of having the same camera in the woods, I've had no issues. So be sure to give them a check, uh, accessoutdoorgear.com and hit them up at the great, uh, great American outdoor show, uh, as well at booth 927 in the archery hall. We're also brought to you by Tecamani seed. Everything's bigger and better in Texas. If you guys are, are ready to do your frost seeding, now's the time to get it done. Make sure you get your, uh, your seed ordered. I'm thinking that mine will probably happen. Mm, at the end of February, beginning of March, I have a little bit of traveling to do in March, so I don't know that I'm going to push it. Uh, I'm going to try to wait till we get some good cold weather right before I split because I will be heading to Iowa in March to do some shed hunting and some scouting with John to get ready for my my hunting season next year. So I'm probably going to get my frost seeding done uh, at the end of February, and I'll be using the Tecumani Seed Clover this year for that to try to give the the deer a little bit of something whenever the uh, when spring green up happens. We're also brought to you by Glacier Coolers, simply the world's finest. Whether you're hunting, fishing, camping, you'll enjoy smarter design, stronger construction, and superior insulation of Glacier Coolers. Visit them at GlacierCoolers.com, promo code TRUTH at checkout. Save yourself 20%. And now let's get Dave on the line. 
All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today, I, I, I got a fellow on today, which oddly enough, he knows the actual precise hometown that I grew up in, which not very many people people know of. And I kind of came upon, uh, you know, upon him in a roundabout way. So there was a, a hammer deer that was harvested in southern Ohio in an area close to where I've hunted in the past. And he and he's actually uh, friends with, we have a few mutual friends. And so this fellow, you know, Chad Sylvester sends me this picture of this hammer deer. And he's like, hey, this hammer got, you know, uh, got tagged down near where we were hunting two years ago. I was like, you got to be kidding me, really? He's like, and he told me where it was at. And it was just, it was one of those things where I was not too far away from where, where this, uh, where this all kind of took place. And so I started reading up on the story of it. And, and, uh, and this gentleman shared a little bit about the hunt over the course of the, the history of this deer specifically. And I thought, I, you know, I got to kind of think, I was like, man, I got to have this guy on because I got to hear about this story since I was so close to this area. And I'm talking uh, about none other than Mr. Dave Shade. How you doing, man? Thanks, Clint. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet, man. So, before we, we'll jump, we'll jump into all the deer stuff here in a second, but before we get started, if you wouldn't mind, just give me a little bit of a background about you, you know, where you're from, what you do professionally, those types of things. I live in uh, Western Maryland and a lot of people, when they say Maryland, you automatically think of like Baltimore, DC, but uh, where I live in Maryland, and you know this because you're from out in about the same area. Mm-hmm. I'm in the very far Western area of Maryland, um, right on the West Virginia border, um, I work in insurance. I'm an underwriter for a workers' compensation company, but most of my waking moments, I'm thinking about deer hunting. I rarely, I really, I usually don't think about insurance unless I'm actually in the middle of doing something. <laughs> I can, uh, I can uh, empathize with that. That's usually what most of my day is, uh, is kind of ate up, ate up with too. It's like I, I, I'm, I'm a hard worker. When I have to work, I work, but when I don't have to, I don't. If that makes sense, you know what I mean. So, yeah, and, and really, my, my work, I mean, just funds my deer hunting obsession is, <laughs> is the easiest way. It's probably how my family would say yeah. uh, what, yeah. what I do for a living. Yeah, exactly. I could probably I could probably take a severe haircut in the salary department if I just stopped deer hunting. I guess it's a, a pretty fair way to put it. Um so I, I do want to talk a little bit about the area that you're hunting because I'm familiar to a degree with you know where you're where you're at. And so what I want to kind of start off with is I definitely want to walk through you know everything about this deer because I know you had all kinds of history with this guy. Um, but before we do that, like I'll, give me a sense of or just, I guess the listeners a sense because I'm kind of familiar with it. Give the listeners a sense of the of the terrain and the habitat that you're hunting. Like what's the property size, private versus public, and what the overall neighborhoods like. Uh, and, and, and the property that I, that I mainly hunt, um, I have a couple properties, but they're all in, in Southern Ohio. Mm-hmm. And unless you've actually been to Southern Ohio, it's, it's really not like the rest of Ohio. It's, it's, you know, I like to say it's big country. It's ridges, it's creek bottoms, it's pine thickets, it's clear cuts. There's not, other than in the river bottoms, there's not a ton of agriculture. Um, and it's a lot like you know, kind of where I grew up hunting here, like Western PA, Western Maryland, West Virginia, it's very similar terrain wise. Um, it, it, it's the farthest thing from flat kind of farmland that, mm-hmm. that you can find. It, it's, you know, the, the place where I killed this deer, I, I'd say there's not a cornfield within maybe five, 10 miles. There, yeah. There's, there's very little ag. It's, it's big woods. It's, it's, you know, for Ohio, it's big country. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you there, man. That the places that I was in down in that area, it's uh, 
Um, it, it's unlike the, the rest of Ohio. I mean, you're the way I've kind of described it to people is, you know, it's it's in that little area where, you know, Kentucky and West Virginia and Ohio, like they all kind of start to converge. And so you're getting a lot of the properties of or the lot of elements from each each of those. It's like you get the the crazy, you know, I don't know. I've just never seen habitat like this when I've hunted Ohio where it's just like so jungle thick. You know what I mean? That it's just it, we have we have have a lot of areas on our property that unless unless you really had on brush clothes you couldn't walk through it. it it's that thick we don't necessarily have to do you know sanctuaries or anything like that because it's just so thick that it's almost impossible to hunt it. yeah but yeah. And, and the nice thing is that the shawnee state forest is kind of in the same area out there and they do a ton of clear cutting on that as well they really seem to manage that state forest um you know it's not just a lot of big open timber Right. Yeah, exactly. And then the other part of that is too, is just the, the terrain itself. Like you're getting into those like West Virginia style, like mountains, or maybe not quite as, as you know, you, maybe you wouldn't classify them as, as much of a mountain as you would have in West Virginia, but they are like more than a ridge and maybe less than a mountain. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's some steep country. Yeah, the, mountain, the mountains aren't as big as they kind of are sort of like Western Maryland, you know, here, but but there's just as much elevation, you know, change between a ridge top and a creek bottom, and it's just as steep. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's just a lot of terrain features, a lot of saddles, a lot of points. Um, it's a fun place to hunt. It's not an easy place to hunt, but it's but it's a fun place to hunt. It's a lot like kind of what I grew up hunting back here when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely attest to that. It's definitely not an easy hunt, but I will say, like one thing you hit on there is just like. Because you have so much topography, it's like there are all kinds of hidey holes for deer to either travel through or or live in that you just may not get to. You know what I mean? Just because there are so there are so many of them. Then you add on the the aspect of how much side cover they have throughout that entire area. It's just, I mean, there's no when you see some of the deer around there and how much age they get on them. It's no surprise how they get aged, just because there's certain places they just won't get bothered. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and it's really hard to. I hate to even use the word pattern a deer out there because you're really not. Mm-hmm. Um, they might have some tendencies where they do something a couple times in a row, but for the most part, a lot of those mature bucks uh, are almost nomads, and, and it's and it's hard to really get an idea of where they're going to show up or when they're going to show up. Right. And if you can find something that they've done a couple times in a row, then you better be ready to, to jump on it. Right. So I know that you killed this specific deer. I think it was December 30th, but I want to talk just a little bit about patterning because you, you bring bring up an interesting sure. topic just because, you know, Chad and I were kind of talking about this. And I know, you know, Jeff Sturgis has hunted this area as well. Um, and one thing we kind of started talking about was was patterns, you know, and trying to figure out like because they're like there's food everywhere. So there's no real bed to food pattern per se other than like there's a clear cut, which is kind of, you know, the um it, which would be nature's kind of, you know, food plot, if you will. Um, and, and what we started talking about, like, is do they have a pattern and are they just much longer lines of pattern or do they not really have patterns in general? So I guess if we're talking about rut specifically, have you been able to see any type of like rotation between doe bedding areas that you could start to pull together a pattern or is it just literally nomadic kind of moving in those areas? It, you can this is just my experience that I can see travel corridors that bucks use during the rut. Mm-hmm. Now to say that one particular buck is going to use this corridor at any time, that's 
that's a tough one. But there's certain corridors they use during the rut that that kind of stayed the same every year. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as you know, these bucks they range a long way, and you're right about you know it's really hard to see any kind of, of bed to food. And this particular buck, and I'll go into this a little later. I got a, I kind of got a piece of information that 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 gave me that information that told me where he was at, where he was feeding at night, and that's sort of what brought it all full circle for me. Hmm. That's interesting. What a so. Let me ask you just as we're kind of continuing to level set here. Like, have you seen any? I guess. Let me ask it this way. Is there a preferred kind of terrain feature or topography feature that you like to focus on in this in this kind of area? You know, is there one thing that you found that kind of produces more more so than than others? Like, you know, for example, you know, I know that a lot of whenever I was out in that region, you know, I was focusing a lot on saddles um, just because I was trying to get into places where deer were going to probably have try to find the path of least resistance to move from one place to the next. Um, but I'm just curious if you if if those were places that were hot for you, if it were some other type of terrain feature that you've kind of honed in on. Yeah, one of my one of my best stands is is a saddle that um, connects two pine thickets, and um, and what I've learned over the years is they don't they just the saddle kind of um, linear. They don't just cross through right you know from one side to the other. They they even the turkeys walk it the same way. It's hmm. it's funny that they cross they cross the saddle at an angle, um, and every animal that comes through there, even a few coyotes, they all cross the saddle in the same point. Um, but saddles are great. I found like, uh, like ridge, like out at the point of a ridge where a ridge pops off, Mm -hmm. they seem to love to cross right there on those points. Mm -hmm. Um, that's always been a really good spot, but I try to stay, you know, creek bottoms out there are full of sign, but you know, they're kind of a fool's gold. They're, they're hard to hunt. The wind, the wind swirling. I found a lot of success hunting about maybe 70, 80 yards up the side hill out of the creek bottom. That seems to be where most of the travel happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's some of the, some of the terrain features that I've, you know, just hit or miss over the last 10 years I've been hunting out there. Yeah. And that's, I think that that's pretty consistent with like some of the things that I've heard from, from, from some other cats and some, some of the stuff that I've experienced as well. I, I know that, you know, those creek bottoms, man, they'll get tore up, you know what I mean? And a lot of times that sign's laid down at night too, you know what I mean? So it's, uh, I think you're right there with it's, it's a little bit of fool's gold um, in, in, in those situations. And I think getting a little bit of elevation too can kind of help you get into an area that you're getting a little bit more steady wind. Uh, you can look probably a little bit better play the thermals, play the thermal game a little bit more consistently and a little bit better too. Uh, whenever you're not sitting, you know, near a body of water that's going to be helping to dictate your thermals and so forth as well. So... Um, all right, man. I think, I think with that, man, I, I want to kind of start jumping into the history of this deer and, and, and start okay. to kind of start to kind of piece this thing together. Um, so I know that you have a lot of history of this guy. So when was the first time this deer showed up and, you know, overall, how long have you been following this deer for? So this particular property, um, I own part of it and we, and we, and we lease it and, and the whole the whole thing together is probably about 1400 acres, Clint, mm-hmm. which, which it sounds big, but I'll be honest with you. We don't, it's hard to even hold, you know, hold a buck. I mean, they're going to leave your property at some point. Right. Uh, we first picked up this property in 2014. So this has been the, the fifth year we've had it. And this deer was on camera the very first year that we had the lease. 
um, Matt Klein, who you mentioned earlier, I think you know Matt. Yep. He actually got the 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 first year he got pictures of this deer, um, and we have a shed off of him from 2014. He was about a 149. We only have one side of his shed, so I kind of had to estimate, you know, about what he was. Right. I think I think he was three and a half, but he could have been four and a half that year. Um, again, you know, pretty much it's five years, and all the pictures have kind of disappeared. And at that point, he really wasn't a target buck for anybody, so nobody paid a lot of attention to him. But that was that was the earliest pictures of him in 2014. Mm-hmm. And so, um, his age, we would we would then kind of guesstimate his age probably be around eight and a half or nine and a half, right? Is that what we're what we're thinking? He's either three and a half or four and a half, you know, in 14. I'm thinking, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking I'm leaning toward eight and a half. His um his jawbone, his teeth were really smooth. Um, you know, and and I killed another nice buck out there in 15. His teeth still, you could feel the ridges, and he was a mature deer. Mm-hmm. This deer's jawbone was a lot more worn down than that. Now I'm eventually going to send a tooth out and 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 see, but I'm leaning toward eight and a half for him. Okay, I mean that's in the deer woods, man. At anything that gets over four and a half, I mean that's a that's a nice mature <laughs> that's a nice mature animal. You know what I mean? So, get, get oh yeah, and he um and and I'll and we'll go ahead and I'll and I'll give you the whole kind of story on it as we go. Okay, cool. So, I know that I saw some video of of this deer. Uh, I know you, I, I know you got to creep up ninja style on him too, and caught some video of him, which was pretty interesting. I, have, I want to talk to you about that in a second. But you know, was this deer? Did you through the course of the years? I know you were capturing him on camera and stuff like that. But was he? Did you see him a lot on the hoof, or was he mainly you know a, a camera deer for the most part? He was mainly a camera deer, and honestly, Clint, um, he was never on my camera. I, um, I was usually hunting, um, a different part of the lease after a different buck. And this deer was really never on my radar, um, at all until really until this year. Um, but so we, we first saw him in 14 and I, and I think as the story goes, Matt, Matt actually had an opportunity at him with his bow in, in 14, but he, uh, it was a limb in the way or something like that. Um, in 2015, I don't know of any pictures of him, but you know, in, in kind of the, the kind of the, the loose club we have, uh, you know, there was nobody really hunting any of his areas that he that We later come to find out his main areas. Mm-hmm. And when he showed back up in 2016 on the very Northern part of the lease, he was just an absolute, just a giant in 2016. Mm-hmm. He may have even been a little bigger than he is now. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty special deer then because <laughs> he was, he's a hammer this year. You know what I'm saying? That was, uh, the, time, the, time, the times look longer in 16. Um, I don't know if he has quite the mass, but he might've actually been a little higher scoring in 2016. And in 2016, uh, another member, um, uh, Jason mainly hunted and he had him on the very Northern part of the lease. And he just had a number. I, I really thought he would kill him that year. Hmm. Uh, he had a, daylight scrape videos of him uh pictures of him and i think he actually had a picture i think he had him at about 30 yards one evening and 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 it was just low light and he didn't didn't have a shot and he ended up um shooting a different deer the week he was out there so you know really he he had one opportunity but after he tagged out then that deer nobody else was even out in that area 
Right. So what time of year was he most was he most visible? I mean, did he have kind of a you know a curtain time, so to speak? Because I've had a couple deer, especially you know mature deer that I could almost set my watch to it, where it's he would show up in the summer and then you would hit mid October, he would disappear and be nocturnal from that point forward, and then like clockwork, right after Christmas, he would turn back on and you would start to see him like right at last light again. Did this guy did, was he visible during the day or was he was he kind of a, a night walker? What was his deal? He was. A little bit of a little bit of everything. We never got him. In, I think we only had one picture of him in velvet in five years. Okay. I, I really don't know where his summer range was at. Um, I think it was to the east. I think that's where he. I think that's where he stayed in the summer um, off our property. He would always show up um, sometime around mid to late October, and we would always get him. The first pictures would always come from the far north eastern part of the lease and then as the fall went on he would his range would move more to the west and and more into a big a big pine thicket is really where he i think he spent the majority of his time and there was um the last two years another another guy in the lease uh, was really hunting hard over um in that pine thicket and i really i really thought that's where this deer would end up meeting his demise i really thought he would get him in there he had a, uh, there was a little island of hardwood in the middle of this pine bucket, and it, it just looked like a great setup, and, you know, I think over the last two years, he's had just thousands of pictures of this deer in there, but it was just one of those spots that was just really hard to get in and out of without the deer knowing you were hunting and that's that's always the spot where a nice mature buck wants to live too. You know, that's if someone was trying to kill you, that's that's how you'd set up your bedroom, right? It's that you want to see it yeah. coming and going, so... Yeah, and and I think he, I think for the most part, and this is just speculation, but I think he bedded above that so he could see anybody coming in there to hunt it. I, I think mm-hmm. that was there was just too many pictures of him when nobody was there, as opposed to when somebody was hunting it. Right, right. So, how did you guys go about kind of you know whittling down what his, where his core area might be? Because it sounds like he's shifting around the property. It sounded like he's might he might even be summering somewhere else, and then he's showing up late think- summer, early fall. And, and he would always disappear about about New Year's every year. I don't know that we ever got a picture of him after like New Year's Day, and and I always wondered if he if he was just an early shedder, or was he moving back to his summer range? But we I don't know of any pictures we ever got of this deer after like January first. I, hmm. I I think he just I don't I don't know where he would go. Um, I don't know if his range was getting bigger because we didn't have, we, it wasn't consistent people running cameras or hunting in those spots. So I don't know if he was in there and just nobody was hunting it or whenever they were in there with cameras up, then it became kind of his home range. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. It sounds like you got the purpose. We um, We have, you know, we have 1400 acres. There's six of us that hunt it. Um, you know, I kind of run the lease and, mm-hmm. you know, low pressure is, is, is what it's all about. And so there's a lot of places that, that, you know, that there's just a lot of places for these deer to avoid us is what it comes down to. Right. So let's, let's talk about that for, ju- for just a second. Like, how do you guys, you know, when you, when you have a group of guys, I mean, do you guys have like a set of guidelines that you guys are following in terms of, you know, cause I know you took a really nice deer in 15 too. Um, you know, so are you guys following some type of guidelines you've all agreed to that, <laughs> It's got to be 
this many points or, or, you know, scoring on the hoof around this, you know, around this score for, you know, for in order for a take, or do you guys have something set up like that? Um, we do, we, we, and, and it's funny because it's going to sound, it sounds low. We have a one, we have a one thirty, yeah. but most of the guys that are in this lease are, are serious enough that really anything under one fifty is probably getting a free pass. Mm-hmm. So, and, and just, keep the pressure low enough that you know there's there's always and it's kind of the perfect storm Mm -hmm. there's we always have nice enough bucks to chase that that the good three and a half and four and a half don't get a lot of pressure on and i and that and and i think i kind of alluded that earlier that when he was you know like a 149 point you know he really wasn't anybody's target buck not at all there was there was five or six other deer that completely dwarfed him on the property that that he probably never got a second look from anybody. And that's why we don't have any pictures of you. Right. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a great situation. Um, you know, that, that every year that we, we seem to have some really good deer on the lease to chase. And, and I, and I think you were going to ha- ask me about, about hunting this deer. And, and honestly, I was hunting a completely different deer this year. Hmm. I, this, this, this buck was not on my radar at all to hunt. It really wasn't in a in a spot in the lease that I ever went. Um, I was hunting a deer who was a, a about a, a ten point and with some non typical points. It probably would have went into the one eighties, mm-hmm. and uh, so that that was really the deer I was hunting. And I actually had a an opportunity at him opening day, and I didn't take the shot. Um, but that was the deer I was hunting. This deer was not even on my radar at the beginning of the year. So why wasn't he on your radar? Was it just that because he was so inconsistent that you just, it wasn't, you know, there wasn't any great intel on him to really try to put a hunt on for him or, you know, why, yeah, I guess I yeah, was the target. And I had only ever gotten him on my cameras a couple times. And the only place that I'd ever gotten him was in the very bottom of this big deep hollow that is bordered by a clear cut. Um, and I'd had a camera down in there at the end of 17 the end of 17 season and i started picking him up down in here and it's almost you know you hear the term box canyon and it, it's almost is it's just it, you get down in the bottom of this hall and it drops straight down and um but i i, I think he was using this this one clear cut some and i started picking up some pictures of him there last year but it, it was a spot that you really i mean it, for the most part it would have been impossible to hunt if there's no way to get you know hunt that spot but i that that was really the only place i ever picked him up on camera um i picked him up a couple times at you know one of my regular spots in the saddle but just i mean rarely maybe one place a year mm-hmm. hmm. yeah that's interesting it's it's like this guy was kind of a ghost and was getting a free a free pass for a lot of years <laughs> just because of uh his the way he kind of came and went on your property which is kind of which is kind of interesting um, you know, I know you, I was reading where you said, you know, you finally kind of picked this guy up on, on a camera and it was outside of like the usual places that he would, he would freak, you know, frequent overall, you know, do you have any idea like what was, what made him kind of change his, I know, I know we were talking earlier that these patterns in, in this particular area aren't real, aren't real steadfast, but it sounds like he had a couple haunts that he liked to hang out then. And then all of a sudden he kind of shifted it, you know, changed it up a little bit. Is there do you know why he was not showing up, you know, in those particular places and why he started showing up somewhere new? Was there a little bit more pressure than maybe he was used to? Or was there, you know, a really good acorn mass this year that was making him kind of shift, you know, shift where he was uh, spending his time? 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, so the spot I eventually picked him up, I think was a spot he actually probably used, but nobody, just nobody ever, ever was in there. But I hmm. think that over the years, it's probably a spot that he's used quite a bit. And, you know, you referred to the video I took of him, uh, the day in the rain. So when I was out there, uh, you know, I was out there for 10 days in the rut. Um, and the other deer I was hunting had kind of completely disappeared on me. So I uh, just one day in the pouring down rain, I thought, well, I'm just going to take a little scouting trip. Um, and I'd looked at this area on the map a little bit and, uh, I walked up in there and, and to be honest with you, there's really no sign at all. Um, hmm. it's just kind of a big open ridge. It kind of comes down to like a little bottleneck and then it drops off. Uh, down over the backside, there's a bench with a lot of greenbriars, and I hiked up in there, and I thought, well, I'm just, you know, I'd like to check this spot out. It looked, it looked really intriguing on the map. Um, so I went up in there, and, and just, it was just blind luck that I, I just happened to be kind of walking out this ridge and just pouring down rain, and I look up, and I see this big rack coming at me, <laughs> and it, and I didn't have a, I didn't have my bow or anything with me, so I just kind of hunkered down beside a tree and pulled out my iPhone and tried to start videoing it. Um, and that's almost right exactly where I ended up killing Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. And, I, and, uh, and, you know, eventually he spooks and goes back down over. Um, so, so after that, you know, then I went ahead and I got a camera up in there. Um, and then I, I started picking him up some in that area. Mm-hmm. And, but only the only times I would ever get him now, and this was kind of an outlier when I video, but that was, you know, November, I don't know what the date was on that video, November 11th, November 12th, that was the rut. And I think that was about 11 o'clock in the morning when he, when he come walking up that point. Um, after I put the camera up and I would get him in there only around daylight, usually an hour before daylight to right at daylight. That was the only times I ever got him in that spot. Interesting. So whenever I saw the video and that was so two part question, that video was killer. I, I had a hard time seeing the deer at first. And when you saw him, cause I mean, he just like he blended in so well. And then whenever you saw him move his head, it was like, it was just bone everywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I'm curious, you know, the, the rain, it sounds like really kind of helped you one. Like, of course we, you know, we know scouting or checking, you know, checking cameras is always good in the rain. Cause it keeps your scent down. You can be a little quieter and stuff like that. So how much of that do you think kind of played a part in being able to kind of get, get on him and then ultimately like, you know, you put eyes on him. So then it became, well, he's got to be spending time here, which helped you kind of like make your plan. And then when he saw you and blew out of there, did you, was there a part of you that thought like, man, like I just blew it. Like this, that's it. Like he's gone. Like a mature deer sees a human. I'll, I'll answer that part. No, no, actually I was stoked because I thought this was a spot I could kill this deer on top of this ridge. If he's, and I always kind of thought he had to be crossing that ridge somewhere because where I was getting him back around in that Canyon, there's a, the, that bench kind of wraps around back around there. It's five or 600 yards, but it wraps back around there to, to where I was getting him on camera in late in late 17. So 
I kind of had a feeling that he had to be crossing this ridge somewhere. Um, and but if you walk the ridge, you know, there's just it just looks the same. But once I once I got a video of him, no, I was excited. I thought, no, nah, this is this is a spot I I might be able to kill this deer, and and you know maybe not this year, but maybe next year. Mm-hmm. You know, I you know you kind of look long term at it, but no, I was excited. Um, and what was the first part of the question? Again? So it was the, how much do you think you know it being wet that day played into your ability to kind of get there, see him, and then that you know sounds like that. You know, visual on the hook. I, I, I think it. Played. What's that? Go ahead. What's that? No, I was going to say sorry. go ahead. Um, I think it played. I think it played a giant role in it because I don't think if if it had been a dry day, number one, I probably would have been in the stand. I probably wouldn't have been out walking, and I don't think there's any way I would have walked up on him. And he probably knew pouring down rain, he was up moving around. So I think it played a tremendous role in it. That, that I end up walking up on him in that pouring down rain. Right. I think it's interesting that, you know, you, a lot of folks, when they when they bump a deer, especially a mature buck, they think it's kind of kind of game over. And I kind of fell under that same philosophy or same way of thinking, too. And it was, I was actually talking to, you know, a, a, a buddy of mine, this fellow, Zach Farrenball. Most people listen to this, I'm sure, know who he is. The, he's from the hunting public. And we were talking just about, you know, gathering intel and scouting because he scouts like a madman. Like he scouts, I mean, for every day he hunts, the dude probably scouts three or four days. You know, that's just how, that's how he operates. And he gets on good deer and he, he kills good deer and does it on really hard to hunt places, you know, typically. And the one thing he was kind of telling me, and I never thought of it this way. And it's interesting that you said it also was that he was like, you know, I don't want to necessarily blow deer out of somewhere. That's not really my goal, you know, whenever I'm scouting or whatever. He was like, but... He was like, I'm also not completely distraught when I do. He was like, because one, he's like, I think they can take more pressure than we give them credit for. He's like, I don't think they see you and then they're hunting to the next county. He's like, and he's like, seeing them on the hoof, he's like, is the best intel you can get. You know he's there. You know he lives there. You know what I mean? So then it's just a matter of backing out, letting him get comfortable, and then getting getting back into to try to put a hunt on for him. Um, which I think it, it sounds like that's exactly what you did. You got there, you saw him, you bumped him, which, you know, good, bad, indifferent, whatever. But now at least you knew where he was at. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And you hit it on the head. It, it, it's sort of a long game. It, if, you know, if I was planning on hunting that ridge, I wouldn't have been up in there bouncing around, you know, walking around in, in mid-November. But I was, I think that was the last day or the second to last day I was going to be out there. And then I had to come back and go back to work for a while. So, I, I knew that, you know, I wasn't going to be in there for minimum, you know, two, three weeks at a minimum. So, you know, that's, yeah, I, I, I agree. Now, if I was actively hunting that area, I wouldn't be out, you know, walking around in the middle of the day looking. But, but yeah, I kind of, just like he said, you kind of look at it like the long game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after you saw him and you had two to three weeks to get back, how bad, how, <laughs> what was your, what was your ability to focus on work those three weeks? Well, um, so. <laughs> The other deer that I was actually hunting um, had showed back up. Oh. Um, so I, I kind of switched gears again, and I was like, well, you know, I this is the deer I've been after, and, I, you know, I have stands up in his core areas, and I don't I don't even have a stand up out here where I saw this deer. Um, so I kind of went back to hunting him. Unfortunately, uh, another lease member on the first day of gun season wounded him. Mm. Um, and so that kind of threw a wrench into, you know, me hunting him. Now we, I picked him back up on camera, the wounded deer mm-hmm. a couple times. And I thought, well, if I can get back out and maybe hunt him, 
and and because he his leg was broke, he looked in bad shape, and I thought, you know, if somebody doesn't get him, he he's probably not going to make it. Right. Uh, he, he I had a picture of him December fourteenth. Uh, he looked really bad. December eighteenth, I got him. He shed both his antlers. Uh, still dragging his front leg around, and then he's disappeared since. So I think he's he's probably he's that deer's probably died. He shed his antler somewhere. Right. Uh, once once he disappeared, then that's when I really flipped over to okay. Now I think I'm gonna really think about hunting this deer. Um, you know, I was getting pictures of him, like I told you, on that ridge top every you know like fifth or sixth day. So. Um, and this is, this is the kind of stuff that, you know, it's just, you, it's just kind of blind luck. I hate to say that, but I was talking to a neighbor that has property that adjoins ours Mm -hmm. and, uh, he had a little food plot behind his house, uh, winter wheat and some turnips had a feeder up. I doesn't, he doesn't do a lot of deer hunting, but he mentioned to me that, uh, that they've been getting pictures of a big buck with a drop time down there at night Hmm. in, in their little food plot behind their house. So all of a sudden, um, then everything fell in place. Then I said, okay, that's where he's at at night. Here's where he's coming back up. He's crossing this ridge in the mornings and he's coming back down in here to bed. So all of a sudden, then I had my pattern. Then, right. then it's just like you said, I had my, I had my feed to bed pattern. Mm-hmm. Now he wasn't doing it every day by any stretch. It was like I said, it was every fifth, sixth day I might get it, mm-hmm. but I had enough of a pattern that, that all of a sudden I was like, okay, this is about as good a pattern as you get out in Southern Ohio. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree there. Was there any type of like looking back on like the trail camera pictures and stuff that you have of him, was there any type of, you know, wind pattern that you started to see come together once you started kind of like looking at it again with like, after you had the, all the puzzle pieces and you, you know, was there anything that you in hindsight were like, man, I really overlooked this aspect, you know, like something with the wind or something with a moon phase or anything like that? You know, I've looked back and I've tried to tried to kind of figure some of that out. And, and I, 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 I have, I haven't really figured anything out. Um, mm-hmm. the Ridge I ended up hunting him on, uh, sort of runs like north south mm-hmm. so i set up to the south um and I'll, I'll get into kind of how i set my stand up in a second but i wanted to make sure that you know really the the only wind the only wind i couldn't hunt that stand would have been a south wind okay. any any other any other wind i i could have from where i knew he was at and where i had a pretty good idea within 20 30 yards where he was crossing this ridge it, you know, the only wind that really would have been bad for me would have been a south wind to hunting. Hmm. Interesting. All right. So you got your final puzzle piece. And now, you know, so from the point, from the time you got that intel, how long was it until you were able to get back after him? So, you know, I make a, a ton of trips out to Ohio every year. And I'm probably right. out there. It's about five hours, but I'm out there more weekends than I'm not. Right. And really, uh, this weekend I went out, it was, um, you know, kind of the weekend right before New Year's Eve. And uh, I went out on a Friday and I, I, I decided I was going to hunt that deer. And really, to be honest with you, I was sort of really just up to hunt the muzzleloader the next week. That, that was, that was kind of what I was doing. It was really more of a setup week so I could go back out next week and hunt a few days of muzzleloader. So when I found out that other piece of information, 
um, I slid in there on that Friday evening and, and, uh, and I went in right at dark. And again, that's probably not something you would want to do, but I was only ever getting pictures of him there right at daylight. So mm-hmm. I didn't think he was anywhere close to where I, you know, being in there. So, you know, just, it was just by the time I got there. So I got, um, my stand up and I knew it was just a big open bridge. So I'd already kind of was thinking about it. You know, I'm either going to have to really go high or I'm going to have to find some cover. Mm-hmm. And it just turned out that I found a tree that was next to a cedar tree. So I took my, uh, my lone wolf and my sticks and I, I got tucked. And, and, you know, even when I got in the stand that morning, uh, I mean, I had to break branches just cause they were hitting me in the face, uh, <laughs> when I sat down. So I was, I got as tight into that cedar tree as I could get, but I got out there Friday um, and I got that stand up and I hadn't had any pictures of him since December the 26th. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't, you know, I, like I said, I knew he was coming through there, but to say I had any kind of, you know, like, Oh, you know, I'm going to sit in the stand. He's going to walk by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing like that. Right. Right. What was your, what was your access like into this, into this location? I mean, were you, you know, did you have pretty good access to start or was there anything that you had to kind of do that was different to kind of make sure that you're, you're entering it and exiting it clean? I, so the, so when I kind of found out where he was feeding at night, that, that made a big difference because now it was still a long walk. I had about a mile walk into where I wanted to hunt, but, mm-hmm. but it was all ridge top and, you know, it was mostly ridge top and there was a logging road. So it really wasn't a bad walk. So I came in with the wind that morning, the wind in my favor, in my face, uh, mm-hmm. about a mile walk. And there was, so a completely different direction than he was, than he was coming from. He was, he was coming sort of from the east, uh, and crossing that, that North South Ridge and going toward the West. And I came in from the South and, and like I said, he, you know, that, that was, so that was my access. And, and then it, it sounds better in hindsight that I kind of knew where he was feeding. Now it could have been anywhere that morning, but right. I didn't, I didn't anything coming in that morning that was a perfect access right all right so now we have all of our puzzle pieces you've got good access you got your stand up you know i guess uh, first i'll actually want to ask this you know was there is and you maybe you mentioned this and maybe i missed it and if, if i did i apologize but was there any type of specific terrain feature there you were getting your 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 setup in like was it were you, were you in a saddle in that particular area was there some type of pinch point or funnel that was kind of pushing him through a specific area or was it or is it that broader saddle that you were talking about that they like the all the whether it was a coyote or a deer were all kind of angling through. There really wasn't um, any, there really wasn't a terrain feature here other mm-hmm. than the ridge was, it kind of came out and the ridge kind of, it was almost shaped kind of like a water bottle where it came out and then it, it got a little, it got a little thinner mm-hmm. and then it started to drop off and he liked to cross right, right at the edge where that point would drop off and it dropped off. It didn't drop off very far, it just dropped off to the next, little part of the ridge but Mm -hmm. there was some some green briars and some rocks and it seemed like he liked to cross right where he would have he could have that cover Hmm. to his downwind side so that was where he would cross with those green briars and he crossed that part of the ridge but you know again i had shed hunted out there over the years and i've I've been out there but there's really no sign uh Hmm. you know there's you know, you'd see a buck of this size and you think, oh, there's going to be signpost rubs and scrapes. There really wasn't. I think it was, 
really just kind of a travel corridor um, where he was crossing that ridge and going back down on that other bench to bed. Right now, have you seen that before out there? With the, I mean, because of course, I, to mention again, like I'm, I'm familiar with the area that you're hunting in, and like the deer density, at least in my experience, wasn't crazy, but the deer you would see were were legit. Um, and I kind of saw the same thing in those places I was hunting. Like I just didn't see a ton of a ton of crazy sun, even though I had had good trail camera pictures of big deer. But is that is that kind of common, you know, for your for your lease? What you're seeing, or are you used to seeing more like heavy sun laid down by those mature deer? It's it's really common. It, it's it's it, you see a lot. I see a lot more scrapes than I ever see rubs. Now we see some tremendous like signpost rubs, but other but other than like some clusters of rubs, like maybe around one of the food plots or something, mm-hmm. you just we don't see a ton of of rubs. Now you see it. You know we'll get a lot of scrapes, um, and sometimes we'll get a lot of different bucks and scrapes that we get. You know at the food plots and stuff. But no, I. I see the exact same thing. It, okay. it, if if you walked out that ridge, you you wouldn't have any idea that there was a 200 inch deer crossing that ridge. Right. <laughs> you would think a deer that size would make a little bit of sign. You would think, but yeah. And and really, that's what me seeing that that was that was the one well, that was the biggest piece in the puzzle. Right. Actually seeing. It. Right. All right. So now we're at the day of the hunt. Like now, walk us through the hunt from like the morning. Like you know, give us all the details as as to what happened. So you got up, you were walking in, you had your you had your access in. You mentioned you had the wind wind in your face. You know, you get up into the stand and like, what are you, what are you kind of thinking once you get into the stand? What's your what are your thoughts? So so I put the stand up Friday evening. Saturday, I wanted to hunt it. I didn't. I just said no. You know, I'm going to stay out of there for a day. Um, and like I said, I hadn't got any more camera. Um, Saturday night was the college semifinal games, Alabama and Oklahoma, and I stayed up really late watching that football game. Mm-hmm. So when I got up Sunday morning, I was I was kind of dragging. I was, you know, I should have I should have got a better night's sleep. Um, but I got out there and I I, I was in good time. Uh, the leaves were crunchy, and I remember walking in and kind of thinking that, wow, you know, it, it, it's really loud coming in. Um, I think the wind was out of the north west that morning just very light so i had a perfect wind and i'll be honest with you i got up in the stand and you know for the first hour of daylight i didn't see anything and by about eight o'clock and i had to drive i had to drive back home um that that day so i really was only planning on hunting until about 10 o'clock and then i was going to have to drive drive back home so by eight o'clock you know i really i was kind of like you know i really don't know if i'm going (laughs) to You know, if I was going to see this deer, I would have saw him right around daylight. So by 8 o'clock, I was kind of thinking, yeah, that's probably just not going to happen today. Right, right. So, okay, so so now you're sitting there and you're kind of, you're kind of questioning. It's like, all right, is this really going to go down go down or not? And then when was, like, did you did you hear him first? Did you see him first? Like, what was the first kind of, like, notice of, like, hearing, hearing some deer? And, and what was your thought process there? So the leaves were sort of crunchy early, and then as, as the morning kind of warmed up, it was just kind of wet and quiet. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I saw was this rack. So, um, you know, the stand, I was I was tight in against the cedar tree. I was right over on the edge of the ridge where I could look down in the in the hollow to the east. And uh, and the first thing I, I, I looked up and I saw movement, and the movement I saw was his antlers. That mm-hmm. was that was the first thing I saw was his rack. And as soon as I saw it, I knew what deer it was. 
and and Clint, it almost looked it almost looked fake. It it, it, it almost looked <laughs> big for his head. I, and that was how I described it to somebody when I got back. I, it was just it was something else. Right, right, all right. So now you got a vi- now you got a visual of him, like. You know, some guys, you know, get a little get a little shook, especially seeing a deer that that size, and it's like no one would blame anyone for that. You know, and then there's other other folks. You know, I know that they almost go into like predator mode, where it's like they they still have control of everything, but it's just they turn into a machine at that point to till the till the kill shot. What's your thought process now that you're seeing him? Like, was he approaching where you were positioned well for? You know, well, let me back up for a second. When he was coming in, when you first saw him, was he coming with the wind in his face? Was he cutting the wind, wind to his back? Because I'm always curious with mature deer how they're traveling with the wind. Because some guys will talk about their, they see him often with the wind to their back. And then some guys religiously believe it should be directly in their face. And other guys, you know, like to cut the pie, so to speak, and kind of have a, have a, they like to have a crosswind. Yeah. You know, so what was this deer doing in terms of wind? He was coming up. Um, out of the, he was down when I first saw him, he was down over off the ridge and he was going to, he was on his way up to cross the ridge where he, you know, where I'd gotten a picture of him crossing. Um, he was sort of crosswind. The wind was out of the North and he was heading to the West. So hmm. he had the wind kind of blowing across him, but the wind was, you know, was in my favor. Okay. Uh, and, 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 you know, and the most important thing is this was the first time I had ever hunted this spot. It was the first time that that anybody ever hunted out of this tree, so you know it, it was completely first time in for hunting that spot. And I think that was a big thing of it. So when I first spotted him, um, you know, I saw him, and he's probably about fifty yards away. And he uh, down the hollow, and he kind of stopped and looked up. But like I said, I was so tight in against that cedar tree that you know I just sat real still, and I knew he couldn't see me. Mm-hmm. And I made the decision. That's where I'm going to shoot him. I'm not even going to wait for him to come up and cross the ridge where he normally crosses. I'm just going to take the first good shot um, that I have. And he was also he's with a spike. Um, mm-hmm. uh, funny enough, but that's the other deer that was with him. Was right. A spike. <laughs> um, all right. So, so you're gonna you're getting ready to take the shot. You know, you're waiting for your first best shot opportunity. You know, what's kind of going through your through your mind at this point? Are you talking yourself through your shot sequence, or are you just kind of, you know, biding your time? You know, did you have enough cover to to get drawn clean without possibly him him busting you? Did you have a little bit of cover around you that was keeping you kind of safe? What was the deal there? I did, and 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 you said earlier about kind of what happened, and I remember this specifically. I I remember taking three deep breaths and counting to three, and just. It, and when I first saw him before he got into range, you know, to really take deep breaths and calm myself down. And then once that happened, it was kind of just like you said, it was kind of, you kind of go into predator mode. And, and I remember, you know, picking the spot and just him coming up and kind of stopping perfect. I didn't have to stop him. He kind of was part way up as he was coming up the ridge and he just like, he kind of stopped and he was looking up on the ridge, not looking at me, but he was looking across the ridge. Um, and I and that's when I took my shot at him. And I thought, uh, I'll be honest with you, I thought I missed him. It just didn't sound like hmm. it didn't sound like the sound when you hit a deer. Right. And and then he took off and went about eighty yards and died within sight of the stand. Nice. So you know, so how far was the shot again? 
about 35 yards about, about 35 yards and was he was he broadside uh, was he quartering toward he, quartering? Would, he would have been he'd have been yeah he'd have been really close to broadside because he was he was still down in the hollow enough and i was turned where he hadn't come up onto the ridge yet to cross but he was kind of looping around that way okay and so when you when you released the arrow and, and it just didn't sound right to you and you saw him take off running and of course he piled up not far away so you didn't have to wait long but what was your initial thought when you thought you might have missed? I just I, I was just I was just it just happened so fast and then by the time I had had thought did I miss he was already dead. <laughs> it was just, oh, all of a sudden he's down there just you know he's down there in the death run kind of rolling around and I was like. Well, I, yeah, I must have, I must, I got him. Must have got him. You know, it was a perfect clean shot, and I, I hit him, you know, just behind the shoulder, and um, so yeah, it was, it just, it was just a different. It wasn't the usual funk that you hear right. when you hit a deer. Right. I don't. I'm not sure why or, or what the deal was. It, it was the sound that really threw me off because it didn't sound like the normal, sh- the normal hit. Right. Right. So now, now you've seen him drop. Right, you 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 you've seen him fall. Like, well, let me ask this question first. Before you got were able to get your hands on him, like with trail camera pictures and stuff like that. I mean, he looks like a he looks like a giant, looks like a hammer. But did you think that he was going to be a two hundred inch deer with the the encounter you had with him, what you'd seen on trail camera, or were you not sure? Yeah, I had uh, I had I had I had dissected those photos. I don't know how many times <laughs> with some buddies and. And he actually ended up being a little bit bigger. Um, a, another buddy of mine, Josh, we we just scored him and scored him and scored him over trail cam pictures, and we kept coming up with between like two hundred five and two ten. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I and and but you never know until you walk up to him. But and and this deer just in person, it's it just it, it's it's even better than in pictures. It's, right. it's yeah. yeah. So now that he's down, right, and you're in the stand still, like you realize he went down. Now, what's your what's your next thought? You just you just killed a giant. What are you thinking? Um, I, I, I the first thought was I want I, I want to get down there and see him. Um, the area I was hunting, I had no cell cell phone service, so there was no texting, there was no calling, there was nothing <laughs> like that. Right. Um, the first thing I thought was I want to get down there and 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 make sure he's dead and 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 get a good look at him. So I, you know, he was dead. I, I thought, you know, more than probably two or three minutes and, and I was down and, and he only died about 80 yards from the stand. Right. So now you're, you're packing him out, you're getting him out of there. When you first got some cell service, who was the first person you called? I think, uh, the first person I texted was, uh, the guy in the lease, Jason, who had had a lot of history with him. Um, you know, in 2016 and 17, who had all the scrape pictures of him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was the first one that I that I texted, and then I then I started texting everybody else. But you know, the picture just the people that the people that knew the deer and had history with them. That was the first ones I I texted. Right, right. And uh, and how so, was the how was the party that night? You know, I I, I it was such a long day. Right. because I hit him out and then I drove all the way back here to Maryland and then I processed him that night and got him skinned out. So, uh, you know, by, by Sunday night at 
11.30, I was just, I was done. And I, like I said, I stayed up too late the night before watching that football game. So the, the real celebration probably didn't begin until like New Year's Eve day. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good way to, that's a good way to do it then. So, you know, what do you think, you know, I mean, it's it's awesome story, man. I mean, just this deer just kind of being a little bit of a nomad some of your buddies seeing him maybe having a shot at him not having like a real good beat on him as far as like he's just kind of a ghost to a degree comes and goes and and then all of a sudden you get that last piece of intel and you get on him right away you know it's like it's just such a cool story what what do you think the main key was for you to kill this buck like if you had to just boil it down to one thing and say like i did this one thing the right way and that's why i ended up killing this deer what would that be I think the biggest thing is, and I, and you hear it a lot, is is first time in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think these bigger bucks pattern guys way more than we have any idea. And I think that that like I said, I, I slid in there with the lone wolf and got the stand up and slid back in and hunted it, and and he had no idea uh, that I was anywhere in the area. And I I think that that's key, and you, and you just never know. I'd have hunted that day and not seen him. You know, would he have smelled smelled me later that day where I walked in? Would he have maybe got a whiff of something? Would another deer spook? So you, it just seems like first time in. And I think, you know, the last three bucks I've killed in Ohio, two have been the first sit, and the other one was my second sit in that stand. So it mm-hmm. just, I think it's it's really a key of of keeping your stand sites fresh and and, and when you kind of see a pattern be ready to be ready to jump on it right all right so now now with that man like what's the what's the plan for next year man you got you got a you got a hammer <laughs> deer you know what i mean it's like how do you how do you top that one do you do you go all don higgins and go next year and try to get two in one week or what i you know i i you know i haven't even thought about that i i know that you know the the one i killed back in 15 that that was you know 180s typical um you know, I, I, I thought then, I was like, you know, this is the deer of a lifetime. Right. But that's such a special area out there that, you know, the top end, the top end out there is over 200. Yeah. Um, you know, but but killing one is, is unbelievable. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I'd like to get on another another big one. I think the genetics are there to, to really grow some incredible deer and, and you know, kind of how we're doing it with low pressure. You know, these deer are getting into the upper age classes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something funny about this deer, I don't know if I mentioned this to you or not, or you might have saw it, but, you know, I mentioned at six and a half, this deer might have been a little bigger than he is right now. Hmm. Um, last year, last year's deer in 16, I mean, in 17, he lost probably 30 or 40 inches of ammo. He wow. was really just mainframe nine last year with some points off the bases, but he didn't have the flyers or the drop signs or anything. And then he blew back up in 18. Hmm. And I, I know that I've ever, I don't know that I've ever seen that before where a deer is really big over 216, probably loses 30 inches in 17 and then, and then jumps back up. And of course, last year we all thought, Oh, he's going downhill. You know, what a shame that nobody got him at his peak, but, you know, he, he really bounced back this year. That's interesting because, you know, I hunted out that out in that area in, in 17, and, and we had some big deer on camera hunting public ground. We had, you know, some that were in the 50s and 160s, and for, for public ground, I mean, those are those are great deer. Um, 
you know it, it's you're right i mean the air that area is just special as far as like the top end deer that you can that you can grow in that particular you know part of the part of ohio but what i had heard because when we got out there we actually kind of got skunked like i saw a couple bucks um you know but just no shooters and we didn't see a ton of deer um and then we ended up getting word um through the grapevine that there was about of of EHD in that area and some you know there were a handful of folks who were finding dead deer and so i i was kind of wondering if our hunt like some of those deer we had on camera that just vanished out of thin air you know not even that even not even that we didn't see them on the hoof but like we just never picked them up on cameras again and then we had quite a few cameras out um and then if he if he kind of went down by almost 30 by almost 30 inches that year too i'm wondering if he might have been fighting something off and then came back the following year that that very well could have been and, and there was um i don't know I, I know my other farm in my other county i had a really bad ehd kill in 17 um i think down where we hunt i heard it was a lot worse down down toward the river mm-hmm. um i don't i don't that could very well be i hadn't thought of that hmm. interesting and, and and also you know i know and, and just kind of after i killed it it all kind of you know come out but there was i mean there was probably six or seven guys that were getting pictures of, of had gotten pictures of this deer this year he was uh he was he was uh uh, uh, uh on a lot of cameras out there this year on our lease and also some of the neighbors hmm, interesting so what was his uh what did he i mean he's he's a hell of a deer regardless but i'm just i'm just curious you know what was his final score um so final the, the final green score that that we just got put on by um a guy with the ohio big buck club was he grows 212 and an eighth hmm. and uh He's going to net rate about 205, 206. Now, he had about a six-inch flyer off his uh, uh, G2 that he broke off on his death run. Oh, man. <laughs> and um, it's a fresh break. Now, I can't say 100% that he had it when I shot him, but I'm, I'm 90% sure he did. And I went down, I went back out again to look for it, and there's a rock there where he died with a chip out of the rock. And I know that's a rock that he hit his rack on. And, uh, I know that point has to be laying there somewhere. So, you know, the rule is if it's a perfect match, you can count it. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe if I can find that, that might be another, you know, five, six inches on to it. Right. Man, that's a great deer, buddy. Uh, congratulations. Number one, uh, uh, great story. Love hearing it. And I really love the place that you're, that you're hunting. Cause it's, it's a, it's a challenging place to hunt. It's not for the faint of heart. Um, you know, it's, it's some gnarly country out there. They grow big deer in that area and, uh, man, just congrats. I, I, I hope you have a continued success in that area and I hope we, uh, we get to talk more again soon. Yeah, Clint, thank you so much. I, I've really enjoyed just kind of telling the story. It's, uh, it's, it's a testament, you know, to the deer and, and, you know, kind of his legacy. So he was a great deer and, you know, um, I'm glad to tell the story. That's right, man. I appreciate you coming on, buddy. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Clint. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to, of course, thank Dave for joining us and thank all of you for continuing to listen and giving us your support. We're super appreciative always of, of that. Uh, be sure to head over to uh, the, the Great American Outdoor Show if you are in the area and holler at your boy here. I'll be at the Exodus booth on the 2nd and 3rd and probably the 9th and the 10th, and John will be at the Wicked Tree booth uh, the entire two weeks. So, and that is uh, booth 927 for Exodus and 932 
for Wicked Tree Gear. Also, if you haven't uh, been over to uh, iTunes and subscribed to the podcast yet, we'd be super appreciative if you would be able to do that and leave us a five-star rating. That would be super rad and super helpful to the show as we move into 2019. And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout-out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Tecamani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. It takes a special knowing to call a Damaged heads, broken letters. Nationalize yourself in numbers, but I gotta get All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.